Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time, and she's Stacey Mitchell. We've got Gabe behind the camera, and we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. The number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018, number 11 in the country. And we're streaming live every week, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. Give us a like. Give us a follow. So we had like major news over the weekend. I think your face says it all, Stacey. (laughs) You weren't very happy about this. So big, big news. Uh, And then the first time this has happened in a very long time, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank both failed over the weekend. So if you haven't been following this story, let me break down exactly what it means. So this first happened with Silicon Valley Bank, which um, it was the biggest banking failure since Washington Mutual in 2008. And then the following day, on, or as on Sunday, Signature Bank in New York closed its doors, and First Republic announced uh, that they would have fresh access to capital to fund operations. So let's focus on the two failures first. So if you don't know who Silicon Valley Bank is, and and I want to give some perspective here, they had a heavy portfolio of crypto investing, of funding VCs, venture capitalist companies, and tech startups, and bonds that were sensitive to interest rate hikes, which obviously we've had a lot of thanks to the Fed. So a little bit of a different banking profile than you think of your savings and loan bank or a, a credit union. Um, Signature Bank was also very heavy in crypto, and both of these banks had to close their doors. Um, What happened with uh, Silicon Valley Bank is that there was $42 billion, with a B, of withdrawals made by their customers, which left them just over $950 million short in the red on their deposits. This was on Friday. And Signature Bank, uh, what happened with them uh, is that they had – uh, a lot of commercial real estate. It was about 44% of their loan portfolio. and But th- they had a disastrous big bet on crypto, and their deposits have been in a free fall since the fourth quarter. So very volatile investments. So before we get into the impact and everything else, you heard this happen over the weekend. What do you two think about all this? Yeah, I mean, big banks can fail. You know, you... Nothing's nothing's just like set in stone or or safe. Um, my understanding with Silicon Valley, um, you know, they they did work with a lot of um, startup companies or places that maybe couldn't get funding from from other banks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that in itself has a little bit of a risk factor in it. Um, you know, I think Biden really made a point here. I heard a couple of different times. I mean, I think it was the same loop of him speaking, but about how this wasn't going to come out of any taxpayer dollars. Um, they were going to make sure that um, money was freed up to, you know, so that people can hit payroll, so that people can hit, you know, a lot of these things that you need on a day-to-day business. Um, or I mean, day-to-day as you're running and operating a business. Um, but it sounds as though what maybe some of the higher up people may be looking at, um, was it that they're going to get fired or, uh, you know, I think they're going to see the direct impact of, of some of this. Well said. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more information that needs to come out about this whole situation and what led up to it. Um, apparently the CEO sold 
a lot of shares mm-hmm. and other <laughs> other higher ups in the company sold a lot of shares um, weeks before the collapse. So they obviously knew something was interesting up. timing, mm, right? <laughs> So, and they knew that they were involved in all these risky lending practices, um, a lot of startups, but that is the hub right there. You know, it is startup central in in the United States. Um, And with crypto, crypto is so, so volatile. I don't know why traditional banks would even invest in or be allowed to invest in that, the way that it fluctuates so much. Yeah. But that being said, um, it, it's super, super risky, and it, it's a shame that people would stand to lose so much money, um, unbeknownst to them. But I think a lot of people learned. If they didn't learn, they should learn about this situation because if you're if you're putting your money all into one particular bank, just understand that for the most part, it's only insured up to two hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So if you're dumping a million dollars into into a financial institution, and they're only your deposits are covered up to two hundred fifty thousand. There is a potential that you could risk yeah. losing, you know, losing the majority of it. Well, what's interesting about like some of those higher up CEOs and stuff that were maybe trading like a couple weeks ago, I almost feel like if if I was ever in that position, I think you'd be better off just keeping it and kind of like you know be the captain that goes down with the ship because it's it's a pretty obvious like connecting the dots, and then I'd think that you'd be looking at more trouble than if you just. Uh, didn't do that. <laughs> I don't you know. think that there would be integrity that they right. would want to go down with the ship, you right. know, so to speak. I love that yeah. analogy. Um, but obviously they didn't and they right. knew something was going on. Yeah. So they covered their, you know, their own selves. Right. Um, and, and pulled out what they could. Well, what, what's interesting here is that, um, to your point, I think there's like insider trading questions that, that yeah. come up. They knew something and they sold their shares. Like what happened there? Um, right. I mean, you might go to Martha Store went to jail for this. Right. I mean, like, yes. nobody's the immune. whole time was making me think. Yeah. 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 Right. So that, 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 that's one issue. Um, on top of that, I mean, obviously you hear bank failures. I think everyone goes to immediately, is this a 2008 housing market crash, which we'll unpack in a second. But when you look at these banks, and, and I was in communication with folks over the weekend um, I'm not going to give up their names here, but these are people that are pretty high up in other banks uh, across the country, in particular one that's a, that's a high level executive. And I asked him, "Hey, what do, what do you uh, what do you think about this?" And what he told me, in no uncertain terms, if I can find his text message here, um, was that these were they, they had risky portfolios to begin with. I, I think you know we, you look at what happened with crypto, and I think it's pretty interesting because everyone was on this like. Hyped. We had, we had someone talk about crypto on uh, on the show here, and crypto is super risky, right? It, 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 it's a risky investment. VCs and startups, they have a high failure rate, so those are risky investments. And the, the, the VC world is so interesting to me. I think anyone with a good idea gets a $5 million valuation right now, and and I, I've seen it happen before my eyes. So, you know, if you look at you know what um, my source here said is that the entire banking industry overinvested in all of the pandemic liquidity from 2020 and 2021, and now have larger negative marks, which impact capital levels. Um, SVB got proportionally more liquidity and therefore invested more in bonds, so their negative mark was greater and almost completely eroded capital. Um, some other sources I have are saying. These other big banks that have conservative portfolios, they're likely going to be fine. But you like these smaller regional banks, um, and I, 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 there's bigger banks in Silicon Valley. They were quite large. They were the 15th largest in the country. 
there's other regional banks that have similar risk portfolios like Signature Bank, which happened a couple days later. And that's going to they could have the same effect there. Um, You know, he then predicts what the Fed's going to do with rates and that he thinks they're going to stop raising rates and stocks will be choppy. But who who's to blame? That was the question that that he kind of. I mean, this was this is a great exchange here, and we just had a one point nine trillion dollar spending bill. Was that that might have been the source of most of the economic problems because there was so much cash in the system uh, that it caused all these investments to happen. People were they had more disposable income, so then they're buying crypto instead of investing in real estate because they couldn't buy houses or buying stocks or whatever else. And there's also a reduced workforce because people were paid to stay home, and now this. So there's been all these kind of steps that happened over the past two years. And, uh, you know, I, I, people obviously ask about residential real estate, which we'll get into. This is what happens when you make bad business decisions. I, I, I hate to say it, but and you look at First Republic. I mean, they had the same kind of issue that, that they, they came up with them. And then, then the bank came out and bailed everybody out and said, you're not going to lose your money. They put a backstop on this. So... You know, it, it's it, it's it's an interesting situation, and it do, it looks like it's going to be more isolated than what we saw previously with banks and and bad lending, which caused the two thousand eight crash. So while it's similar, the banks are failing. The cause is nothing like what happened in two thousand eight, and that that that's probably the most important thing to take away from this. Totally, totally agree. Yeah, um, I think the concern was that there was a lot of companies that were. Um, affiliated with Signature Bank and SVB. So, you know, when you have Coinbase that had about 400 or 240 million cash balance with Signature Bank, and then you had Roku um, that had about, what, 487 million um, Mm -hmm. cash tied up with Silicon Valley Bank. So I think that the ripple effect was was, um, very concerning for the administration, but we are, you know, it's, it's capitalism and, you know, it's, it's, kind of scary to think that if other banks can, you know, decide to take on these risky investments, uh, are we going to constantly bail out these banks? Mm-hmm. And I don't care what anybody says, it's definitely going to affect the taxpayers. Right. It always does and it always will. That's a, that's a load, of, load of crap coming out of Washington. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's yeah. not going to affect the tax, but where does the money come from? Are, are they, are they yeah. just printing more or, or what's happening? And that's what's frustrating about this because there's a lot of people – how many times have you heard someone say, let's invest in crypto over the past couple of years? Like, I mean, this has been mm-hmm. like a hot topic and I, I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. We, we had Eric Crumbaker come on the show who gets it. I, I didn't, I, I was, I felt like even more clueless after he was on. I know we, yeah. we talked about this. It was right. like, it was nuts. And you make decisions with your money. So you, you know, obviously that, that, that has an impact here. And I think where it's going to affect some people is that they're not going to have as much money. To, to spend it might it, it it's going to affect tax could taxes go up i mean that's another question and you know th- there's a new tax plan out there now to kind of make up for this stuff so it, this is where it gets a little little frustrating and I, I think that that's one side of this here and you know we all know enough about economics to be able to talk competently to our clients so what's the effect on the housing market here and, and i think where we want to start is not in values or anything else what's the fed going to do next week I mean, the Fed's got a meeting coming up here, and you know it's fascinating. I got some data, but I want what, what's your what's your reaction? What the Fed? What, what's the Fed going to do next week when they meet? Are they going to raise rates? Because we're coming off a week where, up until Friday, the whole story was Jerome Powell basically came out and said, "I'm going to be even more aggressive with rate hikes," and then this happens, and all of a sudden, 
Are they going to have to backpedal? Is there more going on here? I mean, this is an example of where we've talked about that the, the, the Fed's micromanaging everything, where it's, it's you know, one percentage point too high or not even one, like one-tenth of one percentage point too high. They go the other direction. We've got a meeting in seven, eight days here with the Fed. So what's the Fed going to do in light of this? What are your predictions? And then I'll, I'll share some data and what I think is going to happen as well. Yeah, I mean, I think leading up prior to this happening, um, it was pretty evident that their plan was to raise them. Um, you know, some of the language here in this other article was, you know, the future pacing of a 0.5% rate hike collapsed tonight. Like, um, so it seems as though they're kind of pooling in the reins here, maybe not looking to to move forward or, you know, there's clearly a lot in flux right now. So maybe they are going to take the position of let's just take a step back here for a sec. But I think yeah. that uh, I think what the CPI today was 6%. They, they announced. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still not at their 2% goal. Yeah, no, no sh- shocking <laughs> news, right? Right. Yeah. It's a total shocker. But they're, I, I, I don't think the Fed is done, honestly. They are so focused and so, you know, they're all they're eyeing is this 2% inflation rate. Um, so, I, I mean, honestly, I think they're, they're going to do another hike. I don't think it's going to be as aggressive. Um, what maybe, do you think, like a quarter? Yeah, but I think they're going to do it. Because they're just focused and hell bent on getting it down to two percent. Mm-hmm. So that that you said you summed it up there really well. Um, if we look at a week ago, according to CME Group's Fed Watch tool, and they they we talk about this every single week. Last week there was a sixty nine point eight percent chance we would see a fifty basis point increase. That has now decreased to a zero percent chance of a fifty basis point increase, and. In light of the news that the government is backstopping these depositors, these numbers have gone the other direction, we're seeing a 73.8% chance there's a 25 uh, 25 basis point increase and a 26.2% chance there's no movement. That was zero last week. It was 35% no movement yesterday. So as the story develops, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like day by day now. I mean, there's always something new coming out. And because, like, look at what the inflation data did to these numbers. Yesterday, the predictors were 65%. 25 basis points, 35% nothing. Well, it almost moved to full 10 percentage points in light of the CPI data that came out. So I, I do agree with that. I don't think the Fed's done here. Now, if more banks fail, that could be a problem. You know, part of what's fueling inflation, which we still haven't heard, is all the cash they put into the system. So now the, the good news here for home buyers is rates have come down, and you're like 6.5% after they were like 7 and 8 last week. So, I mean, that, that, that to me is pretty intriguing. And I think that's the, the the good news for people that are in the housing market here, that the 30 years probably going to ease back a little bit. I think people would have been okay with the 25 basis point increase a couple weeks ago. Then the Fed and Jerome Powell went on that. I mean, he was getting attacked by both, uh, you know, by by all, all kinds of senators, and and it was it was a pretty nasty hearing that he had. So this is probably what should have happened in the first place. Mm-hmm. But now they're just so reactionary. Mm-hmm. For policymakers, I'd love to see them get ahead of all this stuff than be behind all the data and kind of playing catch up afterwards. Yeah, I agree. But they always <laughs> they're always playing from behind because right. they they're not out like in the everyday real world. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think they're done raising rates. Um, I think that I mean this is a pretty considerable fallout from from their actions from just you know raising so aggressively and. Uh, I know they have to, they, I, 
it's like they they should proceed with caution. That would be, you know, the obvious and um, probably the the proper thing to do. Um, but I still think that uh, they they live with amongst their bubble and they're only focused on that one inflation rate number and getting to the unemployment is a real issue because it's so incredibly low, the unemployment rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it really deters the Fed too. They can't understand what's going on. Why is the unemployment rate still so low? We need right. people to lose their jobs. Well, people are losing their jobs with these bank failures. Yeah. So that's gonna mm-hmm. have that's gonna have an impact on the economy too. But I don't think they're done yet. But the good news is for our clients that uh, adjustment in mortgage interest rates is like such a positive. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you were able to get clients under contract this week. Right. Uh, yeah. Kudos. You know, that's awesome. Right. And I mean, because of how reactionary everything's been, there's no guarantee as to what will what will be in play next week. You know, right. so like <laughs> you may have caught that that sweet spot, you know, if you if you got under contract. Um, yeah. Here in this little this little snippet. Well, and I think this this really demonstrates how we've said all along since we started doing the show that you can't just take off based on economic conditions. You mm-hmm. can't take off based on inventory if you're looking for a home or you're thinking about selling a home because all of a sudden you see, like, I mean, this rate coming down as much as it has. Today we're looking at six and a half. We saw, I saw 6.25 yesterday mm-hmm. um, for, for a day. Well, that just made the home a lot more affordable for a buyer or a lot more affordable and it, it, it helps a seller because then the buyer can go higher on their payment. So... This is a prime example that you don't no one no one expected these banks to fail three, four days ago. I mean, maybe maybe people in the know, but the average consumer had no idea this was happening. This was pretty mm-hmm. shocking news. Mm-hmm. And it, it it really demonstrates how important it is to take people's advice that know what they're doing, to keep your clients moving forward for agents, keep keep them looking for properties because at six point two five you got a lot of buyers. At six mm-hmm. and a half, there's a lot of people out there. It's so when you get to like seven, that's when it starts to get a little wonky and there's people that probably missed out. I mean, imagine you you decide, hey, I'm going to wait. I'm done with this. Rates are too high. This happened. You see a home over the weekend. You know, that, that's a missed opportunity for a lot of folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you coach people to stay in the game with all this volatility right now? Because that that's really, it, it's constant. I mean, we're getting questioned. You had a listing you took. They, they asked about this over the weekend, literally within like a day. What does the SVB failure mean for me listing my house? Right. So how, how are you keeping people in the game? How are you coaching them here? Well, for my buying clients, um, I just keep them focused on their motivation. Why are, Why do you want to purchase a home? What, what's your motivating factor? Typically, it's either they're renting, they're expanding their family, job relocation. There's there's true, true motivation for them. And we just focus on monthly payments. You know, it's when you go to buy a car, are you focused on the interest rate? People typically don't even know what their interest rate is when they purchase a car. Right. Same thing with credit cards. Do you know what your credit card interest rates are? <laughs> we all know they're high, right? Mm-hmm. But people still use their credit cards, right? Yes. Yeah. So if you can just break it down, provide people, provide all your clients with cost sheets, it just enlightens them and it makes it so much more clear to them. And also they can see the difference that each $10,000 increment can make on their monthly payment. So that $10,000, if you have to pay over asking price or add to, you know, the, the offer, it's, it, it's not, it's easier to swallow when you look at that monthly payment. Right. And what that actually yep. breaks down to in out of pocket per month. Correct. Yeah. Yep. 
yeah, I mean, I think focusing on motivation and just really hitting on you cannot time the market. Like, people did not see this coming, right? Mm -hmm. Like, who knows what is going to happen next week (laughs) that we didn't see coming, you know? Like, there's always going to be something um, here. Maybe buyers got a little bit lucky. Same with sellers with, I mean, a dip in these rates is good for for both sides of that transaction. Um, But who knows what it will be next week? Like, you, there's, there's no way to fully predict this. Like, even mm-hmm. the people that this is their job to predict it, they make <laughs> revisions all the time. So, um, like Stacy said, looking at affordability and monthly payment and can you make this work? And if you happen to catch, like, one of these little sweet spots, awesome. Um, but don't not be in it if you do need to do a transaction because you're afraid that things could shift a little bit because they will. The only thing that we know is that they're going to keep on moving around. Going to change, <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it's so critical right now because th- there, there's so much fear out there, and and like re- the reality is, I don't I don't think these bank failures are going to have much of an effect on the housing market at all. Um, if anything, I'm more bullish on investing in housing than crypto and startups and all yeah. these other risky things that people are investing in. These banks, obviously, you know, Silicon Valley Bank was like the bank to go to for this stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes real estate an even sounder investment in my view because you have a tangible asset that you can put someone in and rent out or live there. So there's a direct benefit that's going to save you money or make you money in some way is number one. And number two, I, you're gonna, I think you're going to see some of these banks shy away from this risky stuff and maybe want to invest in more of a traditional asset. So actual real estate, like when people are buying real estate in the metaverse, you know what makes it oh more valuable? Actual real estate. So- to me, this is good news for consumers uh, that, that are looking at housing. It's good news for folks that uh, are looking for something a little more affordable because rates coming down that, that five-eighths of a point or whatever they are now, that benefits a lot of people, makes it a lot more affordable. And that's a message agents need to be getting out there. So I, I, I see – and look, you're suppo- if you're running a bad business model, your business isn't supposed to make it. Let's just call it what it is. Right. And I think people want to – Oh well, these banks, you know, they, they did all this stuff. Well, they, they made bad decisions, right? If your whole if your whole investment strategy is to invest in crypto and startups that have a very high failure rate, I question who's running the business. And mm-hmm. bad businesses fail. All the real estate agents out there, we've got an eighty seven percent failure rate in our business. Mm-hmm. So we knew the risks when we got it. We talk about this all the time in our team. Mm-hmm. People knew the risks when they got in. So sometimes businesses do have to fail and. I don't feel bad for these people. I feel bad for the, 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 the people that had their money with the bank, and I'm grateful the government stepped in so they don't lose everything. But like you said, or you mentioned, the CEO was selling stocks before. I mean, that, that kind of tells you what you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anybody that can do that and still know that their employees and everybody, all the depositors are hanging out there to get right. totally, you know, washed out. Yeah. But I think, uh, um, to your point, uh, the, Small businesses, the failure rate is very high. So it is a risk. You know, business is a risk. But it's also, you know, if you're willing to work at it, like, you know, we're self-employed people, um, it's high reward. So, but again, you have to know what you're investing in. If you're okay with investing in these high-risk uh, investments like crypto, and you, you know, you're, it's a risk. Put it out there. It's like gambling, going to the casino. Mm-hmm. You know, only Sarah wins 20 grand <laughs> on a lunch, on a lunch run there, but not everybody does, right. you know, so there's risk involved to all that. But if you think about real estate differently, if you're 
if you, you everybody has to live somewhere, mm-hmm. right? So I think it is a mindset shift. Everybody has to live somewhere. The home that you're buying, you're going to be living in it. Mm-hmm. So it's not as risky of an investment as even a car purchase, right? Or investing in crypto or going down to the casino or other oh, yeah. things, you know, even in your IRA. So getting into real estate, it's a way more solid investment, yeah. especially because you have to live somewhere. Right. Yeah. It's an asset that you can use while you have it <laughs> and it works to grow money for you. It's, um, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We just unpacked everything here. We've got Andrew Undum holding. We've got one more segment, although it says Nancy Undum on the caller ID, which is fantastic. I'll be uh, making fun of him for that when he gets on. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. For the best local mortgage service and great rates on your money, look no further than Mortgage America. We've been operating in the greater Philadelphia area for 40 years with a focus on smooth, easy access to home purchasing. Whether you're a first-time buyer, upsizing or downsizing, or just refinancing, we have programs for you. We also have closing cost assistance programs and access to subsidized interest rates. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. To learn more, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. We always have a person available to take your call with around-the-clock human service. Purchase your home with the personalized local service you find at Mortgage America. Mortgage America is an equal housing lender. NMLS 128501. The Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. We hire the best agents and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor. Because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX main line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's Tom, Tool with an E, dot com. Sell your home for more and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacey Mitchell. She's Sarah Timon. And we got Gabe behind the camera, and we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018, number 11 in the country. And we're streaming live every week on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. So 
Interesting article that dropped from Zillow. We're going to cover this very quickly here, and then we've got Andrew Undum from the Shore Sales Group down in the metro Baltimore area coming on, which is very exciting. Uh, Sellers, according to a Zillow survey, came out and said, hey, nine out of ten of us, almost 90%, think they could have gotten a higher price by making different choices. So I'd be curious to kind of, and we're going to go through these regrets pretty quickly, Pretty quickly here. I want to get your take on them. There's four that came up. So it was 84% that answered the Zillow survey that was conducted by the Harris poll that even in a seller's market, many of them, and it was first-time sellers, had regrets about pricing, timing, or marketing of their home, and they felt like mistakes could be costly, especially when selling one of life's largest financial assets. So the first one, pricing incorrectly. So let me give you some background, then we'll get your take on this, ladies. The most common thing that first-time sellers regretted was they wish they had set a higher listing price. 39% of people answered that. Um, They sold the home during the red-hot pandemic 2020 market, and uh, they they felt like they priced their home too low. What do you think about this? I think the market really dictates what someone's willing to pay for a house, right? I mean, we can set a price, we can recommend a price, mm-hmm. but it's really what the buyer is willing to to pay for the home. Right. That's who really sets the price point. Um, so I'm just curious about why they thought that they could have gotten more. I mean, I think every seller thinks they can get a lot more for their home than right. they really can. In history? <laughs> In history, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit surprised about that because also you don't I guess it depends on what their exact situation was, like how quickly they needed to sell, like what their timeline looked like, what their motivation was. But you're not required to accept an offer below what you thought you were. You know what I mean? Like you get to say yes or no to offers that come in. Um, So I'd be curious as to were they encouraged to just take the first offer that came in and not allow time for others or – um, what was the the scenario there? Because, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised by that. So, um, I, I mean, I, I guess my, my view of this is that, um, you know, obviously today the market's a lot different. And pricing is probably one of the most important things to get right when, you, when, you're, when you're pricing a home. And I could see why that would feel that way because some agents didn't know where to price homes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them probably did price their home too low. I mean, let, let's yeah. call it what it is. I mean, if you're getting 20, 30 offers, when the home sells 100K above the ask, yeah. you might be better off pricing it closer to where it sells for and getting the serious buyers that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but the, the regret was pricing incorrectly and incorrectly could also mean pricing it too high because we did see homes that kind of sat on the market yeah. a little bit. Uh, my view is that agents didn't inform people well enough here. And I, and that, that's what I'm, I'm clear on with this particular regret because it's easy to say that ideally you see the home selling a little above the asking price. And when it sells, 120% of the asking price, you did price it too low. Mm-hmm. But if it's like 103, 104, that's the average. That's a little different. And, you know, part of the challenge here, too, was having to deal with appraisals and other things. Mm-hmm. So you could say, well, I could have gotten more, but if the home doesn't appraise, the lender's not giving you the money anyway. So Right. And and during the course of the last couple of years, I mean, each month things were going up. So mm-hmm. if you, you know, sold at this month and then you know you're comparing it to well this many months later maybe i would have done this differently well maybe but they weren't things really like built upon each other pretty quickly during this timeline Mm -hmm. yeah if you sold your home in you know late 2020 early 2021 
and you're trying to compare that to today's values, it is different. Well, and, and, and to your point, we had to look at the market almost like on a week-by-week basis. Like we're looking at the volatility now. So what the home sold a month ago for may not have been the same. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough to really answer that. And, and I would argue that agents just in, in general during that time period did a horrible job educating clients. So I think that probably has something to do with it. All right, number two, ignoring online curb appeal. 87% of first-time sellers, um, again, were um, they, they felt like they could have done things to get their home ready for the market. Two in five, this one is mind-blowing, 39% think better listing photos would have boosted their bottom line. I agree with that. I'm surprised yeah. it's not lower. And one in four first-time sellers think a virtual tour could have helped their home sell. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, we we that's part of our marketing plan is the virtual tour. Obviously, we have the best photographers on staff, so they can. (laughs) So they, you know, I know our listing photos are superior, Mm -hmm. um, and that makes a big difference because I know Sarah, you've done this too. We, you know, clients look at photos online, and it's like, oh my gosh, and you're like ready to walk into a home that's less than desirable, Mm -hmm. and you go in, you're like, wow, it's it's much better than expected. Mm -hmm. It's like a pleasant surprise, right? Right. Mm -hmm. That happens. Right. And then there's probably a lot of people that skipped going to that house because of the photos. So, yeah, that photos Mm -hmm. and virtual tour are very important. And curb appeal. (laughs) I mean, that there's so many small things you can do outside of the home that can make a big, big difference. Number one, power wash the house. If you have anything green or funky on your on your home, get rid of it. Anything black or green, get a power wash. That's an easy thing to create much better curb appeal. Little, you know, some landscaping goes a long way. I think that adds so much more value to a home. First impressions. Well, and and this is, again, another example of people that just rushed homes on the market. Mm -hmm. And this might have to do with people felt like they left money on the table because invariably paint, flooring, mulching, all that sort of stuff, that will get you more for the home. It's going to set a better example. Mm -hmm. And to me, a lot of that is the result of lack of preparation and there's not that um, there's not that run up that 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 happens here, and you know if you have bad photos, I mean you should you should like lose your real estate license if you're not <laughs> using professional photos. I agree, I agree. Now some people, some sellers, they don't have a lot of time to prep given their situation, whatever it may be. So um, I do understand there's some situations that they just can't you know do any more work than they've already done. But yeah, if your agents aren't providing some really great professional photos and especially that virtual tour. You have to find somebody else. (laughs) Right. Yep. Agreed. All right. Number three, bad timing. One quarter of recent first-time home sellers wish they had listed at a different time. Well, the best time to sell will always depend on people's circumstances. If the owner has flexibility, um, then Zillow says the second half of April is the optimal time, which I I, I can't, I don't agree that you can just put a a blanket time frame on there. Um, And so it was, timing was a top priority. What do you think about timing here? Stace, what do you think? I, I think you can't time the market. <laughs> I mean, impossible we, to do. <laughs> yeah, we, we discussed that um, in the first segment. So, yeah, you can't time the market. It's really based on when the sellers want, want to list. It's around their time frame. What, what's their motivation? The, the best timing to me is when you're ready mm-hmm. and when you have the next home lined up and there's nothing else on the market. And mm-hmm. there's, especially looking at the past two years, demand didn't really waver at all. So, this might be another set of bad information or a bad launch plan where most people, what, what they end up doing is 
think Sarah is going to need I'm the Heimlich dying. here in a oh second. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm an Eagle Scout. I'm trained in it, so don't worry. Oh, but uh, um, so with that, um, what, what ends up happening here is that a lot of they just put it on the MLS. Mm-hmm. There's no ramp up. There's no pre-marketing period. That's a major mistake. And then you get the fast offers that come in, not necessarily the best offer of people that are because people have lives. Right. So it's impossible to look at homes here. So I think that's as much to do with it as anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing that it also noted on here was that um, now that I've, like, I think I have a second between (laughs) coughing fits, um, that sellers wished that they had known how long or how quickly it would take to sell their home, Um, which that is something that the local data, like, that should have been able to be provided to them, Mm -hmm. a reasonable expectation of, you know, what that might look like. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, and that would go back, again, to your agent providing you all the data. Agents cut so many corners during this time where it's like, okay, I'll list it. I'll I'll tell you later. I'm too busy for this. Blah blah blah. It just it makes absolutely no sense to me how, and that's why we're seeing a lot of people struggle right now in the current conditions. Mm -hmm. All right, last one, and we're going to take a quick break, and we got Andrew Undum coming on from the Shore Sales Group in Baltimore, Maryland. So, regret number four: skimping on repairs. So, sellers gearing up for. The spring home shopping season typically will do a little bit of prep work and more than one quarter of first time sellers, just over 25%, think they could have gotten a higher price if they invested more in home improvements and repairs. What do you think about this? I think it really depends on the repairs, but like we talked about, definitely landscaping, painting, uh, a deep clean, having carpets cleaned or replaced if, if, if they're really in bad shape. That makes a world of difference. So I, I think those things, um, you know, those smaller things can lead to a much bigger return. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think there are, um, you know, certain areas that you should uh, go in and, you know, take the time and the energy uh, to focus on. You want, you want cleanliness. You want clean surfaces. You want to declutter. You want, like, yes, if it's a fresh coat of paint, the landscaping, if it's the, if you walk into a home and the first thing that you see is the stairs going up and the carpet is all ripped and all, like, you know, whatever. like The that, dog chewed it or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that might be something worth focusing on um, and figuring out, you know, what are you going to get your money back on? Because you also could start putting money into the wrong places it's not to the buyer's taste. And then you spend all of this money that you're not going to recoup. So I think being smart about what you do um, and not just going in and being like, all right, I'm going to redo the kitchen right now before I list it. Because, like, you're probably not going to. You're definitely not going to make your money back on that. Right, yeah. Right. You know, th- this is another. I, I There's a cost versus value report that's out there. Most agents don't even know this thing exists. It, it's. All of this stuff to me, when I look at this, and then we're, we got Andrew coming on. He's, he's on the Zoom link right now, which is very exciting. It's agents not taking the time to spend 15 minutes explaining the process to their clients. And just, oh, you want a list? Great, Stacey. Hey, here's the contracts. Let's go. You've been on the other end of the table with me on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's there's a process involved. And that explanation goes such a long way with folks. And that's what a lot of people are missing right now. And mm-hmm. this survey, to me, is a direct result of agents being lazy. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's where it's coming from. But I think as sellers, the more information you have, the more data you have, the more return on your investment you're going to get. So definitely you need to speak with agents that can provide this to you. And 
ask about their marketing plan. Do they even have one? Because right. most of them don't. Mm-hmm. Do they have, you know, what um, additional services are they providing? Professional photography, some staging advice, how to prep the home mm-hmm. properly. Um, you know, that adds so much value. And I, I think that if you talk to and interview different agents, you'll see the difference. It'll be clear. Right. And the more information that you have, then you get to decide what is it that I want to do. And you don't have to feel after the fact that you should have done things differently. Correct. Like you have the information to make your decisions to to do it the way that you want. Mm-hmm. And communication is a number one. And it starts from the very beginning when you're interviewing agents. <laughs> one of the biggest complaints consumers have. So mm-hmm. that, that's where a lot of this comes from. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got Andrew Undham on on uh, the line here. Had a great appearance on the walkthrough on Broke Agent Media that I really want to break down. Thought it was super, super valuable to people. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. You shouldn't have to deal with all the red tape when getting your mortgage from a big or online bank. At Mortgage America, we have access to big bank money, but with the personalized and detailed service of a local bank. We are here in your community and ready to serve with fast settlements, low down payment options, and first-time homebuyer programs. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. For more information, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. I'm Tom Tool of the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. If you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent in the greater Philly area, I have a special offer for you. Our team did $165 million of volume in 2021, making us the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and a top 1% team nationally. Our agents love us because we offer them a successful career, a great life, and an unbeatable culture. Agents who've been with us for at least a year average 30-plus sales. Even our brand new agents average 17 to 24 sales a year. We offer proven systems and expert training. We help you set more appointments and sell more houses. Now here's the offer. If you don't have a real estate license yet, we offer real estate scholarships so you can get one for free. Check it out at realestatescholarshipprogram.com or visit the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline at tomtool.com. That's tomtoolwithane.com. Get more out of your real estate career and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. All right, all right. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time, and she's Stacey Mitchell. We've got Gabe behind the camera, and we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And we've got a very special guest coming on here. We've got Andrew Undum. You can follow him at Undum, U-N-D-E-M, on Instagram from the Shore Sales Group down in Baltimore, I hope I can say good friend of mine at this point, Andrew, but uh, we're, we're excited to have you on. This guy's doing hundreds of deals down uh, down south below the Mason-Dixon line, so thanks for coming on, my man. Hey, you definitely can call me a good friend, Tom. We're your friends down here in Baltimore. I'm eager to be on the show, and that was a great little session there, those four points. I learned a lot, but I'm uh, happy to be here. What do you want to talk about? So what I wanted to start with, and, and I know Stacy and Sarah got to see you at the uh, Jeff Mays event we did up here a couple months ago, and obviously we refer, we referred a lot of business back and forth. So Andrew is the guy to talk to in Baltimore if you need an agent. 
you had an appearance on the walkthrough, and I, I know you always kid around that you're the hot take guy, and I actually find that your business principles are really strong um, in, in all seriousness. And you went on a little bit of, I would call it a rant about people saying, hey, these are my past clients. And you were basically like, hey, no idiot, or whatever, you, you might have said something else. <laughs> these are your clients. So, and, and I find that pretty interesting because a lot of people in real estate treat it as a transactional relationship instead of, I'm working with these people for the next 20, 30 years, like an attorney, like a dentist, you know, like a doctor. So explain that a little bit, because I think agents need to hear this, especially as we see the market changing from this waterfall of leads and high level intent that we saw over the past two, three years. Yeah, it's a, it's an important distinction. And look, it's not really just semantics either. You know, I learned this. I have to give a shout out to my mentor and my good friend, Alan Dalton. Alan Dalton was a CEO of Realtor.com. Uh, helped turn that company around, named it Move Inc. And he also ran one of the largest brokerages in all of New Jersey. And this is kind of coming from him. So he's my partner um, in some aspects, but he really attacks the term past clients and it's pervasive in our industry. We like to say, hey, make sure you stay in touch with your past clients. And past clients is a big lead pillar for most people. It's just been around for a long time in our industry, but we're the only business on the planet who has the audacity to call our clients past clients as if we are so transactional, we only care about them when we're transacting and then immediately when we're done, we put them over here in the past. When you call someone your past client, that means you are their past agent. And no other business does this, particularly in professional services, whether it's a financial planner, accountant, doctor, dentist, you name it, you just have clients, not past clients. So we're passionate about that. And Tom, I know your group is the same. And it's just, you know, it's one of these words, we got to, we got to beat it out of our lexicon, because it's not right for our clients. And it's, you know, it changes the way we think the words we use matter, as you know, and that that's something that just shouldn't be said. Because anyone can be your client, whether or not they are transacting, you guys just went on a nice little take on what sellers kind of regretted and what they could have been doing differently. Well, you can advise these people even when they're not transacting. How about a year before they go to put their home on the market? We like to do home merchandising consultations. because That's what we do for our clients, not future clients, not past clients, but we're advising people well before and well after they're making a transaction. Everyone wants a plan for life and wants to be their agent for life, but they don't have a plan for life, Tom. Mm -hmm. They're too busy being transactionally focused and using stupid words like past client. So, so how do you coach people to change that mindset? Because what you say does matter. I mean, your self-talk matters. You know all this stuff. How are you training your folks at your team? How are you communicating this to folks? How are you building value with your client base or your clientele so they don't feel like this was a one-and-done transaction? Yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing process. We all have things that we need to to improve on and be working on. But when it comes to the, the client experience, what we're really big on is letting the public know, and certainly our clients know, that we don't just show up when they're ready to transact. In the best consumers, the people who get more of what they want, have clarity. And to achieve clarity, you really have to have a plan. And a plan happens not one day when you say, oh, I think I want to buy a house, or oh, I think about, I'm thinking about moving. You have to get way ahead of it. So simple things like, you know, people always ask us, how's the market, right? You talk a lot about that on this show with, with interest rates. When someone asks you, how's the market, 
you shouldn't just go start pontificating on all your ideas on what mortgage rates are doing and what's happening right now. You need to flip that conversation into, hey, when are you thinking about making your next real estate move and start providing some value regardless of when it is. If it's eight years from now, that doesn't mean you can't start having the conversation right now about how to get your ducks in a row, how to make sure that you're going to get the optimal financing package, whatever the rates are in the future, or how to merchandise your home, whether you're looking to move, improve, or relocate. There, there's so many angles that a true professional can exhibit expertise with a consumer. And, and you know what that is, Tom? That's treating someone like a client. That's true agency. Representing someone as if you are one. Not just like, okay, let's go look at houses. All right, when can I come put the sign in the yard? Um, and luckily for us, the, the real professionals, like you're top 10 in the nation for any brokerages, period, Tom. So I'm not necessarily talking to you when I'm, when I'm kind of pontificating on this, but there's 1.8 million agents running around and they're looking for a quick buck. And I think the consumers are going to be privy to that more and more and more as it gets more difficult for consumers to get what they want. You need a pro. Love that. So if you want to get in touch with Andrew, uh, his team's website, it's SureSalesGroup.com, just like it sounds, S-U-R-E, SalesGroup.com. You can follow him on Instagram at, at Undem, U-N-D-E-M. So ladies, what questions do you have for Andrew? Because I could ask him stuff all day, but I, I know you've seen him speak. He's got a little different perspective than we have, but I think we're, we're really aligned in a lot of principles. What do you want to know? What's the longest, I guess, lead up that you've had with a client from meeting or having those initial conversations to ultimately um, start transacting? Well, I know we're, we're operating on the same platform as a lot of the top teams do. Shout out to Boomtown. It's a, it's a tool that agents can use that will really allow quality follow-up over any number uh, of years. But we've had countless, um, countless examples, Sarah, of we meet someone at an open house eight years later, mm-hmm. we end up listing their house. Because guess what? We're not trying to close them when they walked into the open house. Mm-hmm. Our business is really the art of mm-hmm. getting people what they want and doing it in a manner in which they're going to say nice things about you on the internet, which means you got to do some unexpected extras. You got to go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. So if someone says, hey, I'm not looking to move. I'm a neighbor, just wanted to check it out. Instead of saying, okay, they're not ready to go right now. Forget about them hey, that's a homeowner in this community who is interested in, in real property. What can I do for them? Not, not thinking about me all the time. See, most agents are so selfish that if they're not, they're like literally falling asleep under an apple tree waiting for an apple to fall in their mouth and then maybe they'll chew it up. You have to say, oh, great. And then, so what we did with that example, and we have tons of those, is we just started sending them things, um, items of value about the neighborhood, about market statistics, about what certain people are doing. I loved what you guys were talking about on skimping on repairs and timing and pricing incorrectly. Um, A good process drives good results. And you know what every consumer in your neighborhood has in common? Every consumer in any neighborhood, wildly different political beliefs or any number of beliefs, different cultures, but they all have this in common. They want their property values to go up. And the only way you have access to people is through their concerns. So when you make it less about you and more about what this individual might care about and then deliver things that you think are valuable, some of them won't land, but some of them will. And you can start those conversations to really help them build a plan around their future. Do you hear the commitment to service this guy has? I mean, this, and, and uh, I mean, you're one of the more dynamic salespeople I've met. And, and I met a lot of them, Andrew, and, and it's, People's concerns matter first. Meeting them where they're at. This is so uncommon in this industry because everyone just wants the next quick buck. They want the easy way to make more money. And, and you've seen this. 
we've seen it. People just get into the business, and like they said, they wait for the apple to fall, not even fall on their head, fall on their mouth. The odds of that happening are so low, and that's what folks want. So what are you seeing as the skill set now that we're in this different time? Because I think a lot of agents, they saw how easy it was to sell real estate, which it was easy to pay. Wasn't easy. It was easy to find people with intent that wanted to transact. That that was easier than I, I don't. And you've been doing this a long time. I think it was the easiest time to find those people because they came out of the woodwork. There were a lot of hand raisers. Markets changed. What strategies are you implementing now to help identify those people without coming out with commission breath and not putting your interest above theirs? You know, I've got so much tutelage from people who are just much smarter than me, and I'm just a practitioner here trying to surround myself with, with smart people and taking action. But Alan Dalton, again, this guy's one of the most prolific producers. If, if social media was around in the 80s and 90s, he would have been bigger than Sirhan. He really would have been. And then he went on to have his career. So he's pouring so much into me, and a lot of what you're hearing are his ideas. But going back to the only way you have access to people is through their concerns, you have to come up with systems and programs and guides that you know large swaths of the population are interested in. For example, at every open house we have, we have tons of guides that we know are statistically, most people are going to be interested in one of these things, whether it's moving with pets. Oh, we have a whole guide for that, 20 pages. My face is on it. It's a whole program on moving with pets, moving with kids, move, improve, or relocate. Renter to buyer upgrade system, downsizing with distinction. You see, when you have things that people actually care about, instead of trying to be super salesy and talk at them and, and all that sort of thing, when you have something of value to say, oh, you're, you're debating whether to you know, put that addition on or move, check out our guide on move, improve, and relocate. We have a whole planning process for that to make sure you can wrap your head around it. So there's little things like that. Those are what Alan would call macro ideas, not micro Micro's the interpersonal stuff and how to be a good salesperson and how to listen and ask good questions. And that's really important. And actually, I, I do believe that's vastly um, missed due to the ability for, you know, it's just so easy to get your real estate license. And 99.8% of people have never had real sales training. Maybe they do a little scripts and dialogues. Maybe they do a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but they don't know how to serve people professionally because sales isn't what you think it is. It's actually the highest paid occupation on the planet for the most patient people who are the most committed to finding solutions for people and getting to the truth quickly. You see, that's what sales actually is. So that's micro, interpersonal level. And look, most people listening to this and people on your team, they're naturally good at this anyway, else they wouldn't be in the industry. But you also have to go macro. How can I speak to a large audience and give them what they want? Renter to buyer upgrade system. Because you know what? They're not first-time home buyers. They're actually renters. See, people don't put that together. We have a first-time homebuyer program, but that's a renter program. Um, so that's how you got to start thinking. How can I create systems and processes that are going to impact a lot of people, and there's a lot of people in, in each of these camps, and uniquely solve their problems in a way that's quick and easy for them. So when you talk about guides, um, and you said at every open house you provide these guides, are there, it's a physical takeaway sheet, and you also do it electronically? It's like a booklet. It's like a 15-page beautiful booklet. It's, it's ammunition. Because, you know, all salespeople, I think, want to give the consumer what they want. And we make the mistake of pretending to know what they want, or we assume we know what yeah. they want. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be armed with all these things that you know that, that you've had success in helping consumers deal with. 
And if they're interested in it, great. And if not, totally cool too. Leave it off to the side. Don't matter, shrimp platter. Okay. <laughs> Andrew, this was unreal. 20 minutes of fire here. You want to follow Andrew? He's at undem, U N D E M, on Instagram. You can visit his website, shoresalesgroup.com. If you live in anywhere in Maryland or in the Baltimore area, he is the only agent I would refer you to, period, because that's he's our referral partner down there. I got a ton of value out of this. I took a bunch of notes. I think, Sarah, you were too. I mean, it, it was yep. good. So appreciate you, my man. We're getting played out. You want to follow Stacy? She's at the number two Mitchco on Instagram. You can follow Sarah at Ty underscore Ty Time. You can follow me at Tom Tool 3RD at Tom Tool the third on Instagram. And we'll be back next week on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.